Let's stand and read, read the passage together. Starting with verse 31. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified in the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it to you that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice or seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scripture diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings. But I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my father's name. And you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses... You would believe me, for he wrote about me. For since you did not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his word, which is your word. Thank you for the spirit who illuminates this word in our hearts. Lord, we ask that in this time you would do just that. Help us to understand what it is you're saying here. Help us to understand what you're saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. Okay. So like Scott prayed. This is a part two. It's actually kind of a part four. We've been in John 5. I think this is our fourth week in John 5. And John 5 is its own little thing. Well, it's kind of a big thing. John 5 is the turning point in John's gospel. It's where Jesus starts to face significant opposition. And uh, it's kind of surprising. In fact, it should be surprising to us. Uh, that the opposition that he faces comes from where? Um, does it come from secular people out in the world? No. Does it come from the big, bad, you know, flagrant sinners in this community? No. It comes from the religious establishment. It comes from the church people. It comes from the Judean religious 
leaders. That's where the main focus of his opposition is. Uh, and Jesus confronts, uh, well, the, the, the reason that they come out and oppose him is because Jesus is walking around confronting something that we started calling folk religion. In the Old Testament is called idolatry. Uh, I'm calling it folk religion because, well, that's a good name for it. Folk religion is any kind of religion or spiritual practice or belief system that doesn't come from on high. It, it arises out of the experiences and the stories and hopes and dreams and even trauma of communities. It's human-made spirituality. Folk religion is what happens when we as people, even in our most sincere efforts, reach up to the divine. And Jesus comes down from God and he says no to folk religion. These attempts to reach up. And in John's gospel we see that. Jesus coming down and saying no to the people reaching up. There's this confrontation. We saw that one area of confrontation is Jesus, this guy by the pool, you know, the disabled guy by the pool, his healing pool. Um, it's kind of a pagan, syncretistic thing. And he, he, this guy's been waiting by this pool to get healed years and years and years. And Jesus shows up and he does what the pool could never do. In a moment, he speaks and this guy's healed. Jesus confronts that folk religion. Tells the guy, go, stop sinning. That was awesome. But then the religious leaders, you know, they get on to Jesus because he did it on the Sabbath. And he told this guy to carry his mat. And their folk religion, which started with their Bible reading, they took their Bibles and they, they took the, you know, good stuff from their Bibles. But they, they added to it all these different rules. They were interpreting it a certain way. And they're pretty sure they had it all figured out. And Jesus telling this guy to pick up his mat, that, that violated their standards. And that was Jesus confronting their folk religion. Remember that? And then it says that they started to um, persecute Jesus, even started looking for ways to try to kill him. And then John's narrative turns into like, a, like we talked about, uh, like a courtroom drama almost. Jesus gives this defense, um, like on a, you know episode of Law and Order or something like that. He, he defends himself and he basically says, I have the right to come in here and confront folk religion from the common guy, but also from the religious establishment because I have a unique relationship with the Father. And that's where we were last week. What does Jesus say about his relationship with the Father? Well, he says he's equal with the Father. Him and the Father, not one is above the other. They are equal. So when we look at Jesus, we see God himself. We see the object, the focus of true religion. Jesus says, I can confront your folk religion because I am God. But also Jesus talks about his submission to the Father. And he submits to the Father in time. He submits to the Father in his humanity by becoming human, following God's law as one of us. So he's, Jesus is also the perfect practitioner of true religion. So Jesus says he is the focal point. He is the object of true religion. If you want true religion, what do you believe in? You believe in Jesus. He's also the practicer of 
true religion. Who does true religion perfectly? Well, Jesus does. And he says because of these two things come out of his relationship with the Father, he has every right to come into their church, their society, and start pointing out what needs to go. So that's as far as we've come. Now, there's this whole second half to Jesus' big defense speech, and that's what we're looking at today. That's what we just read. And the courtroom motif sort of continues. This is where Jesus calls on witnesses. He starts off and he says, I, If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Um, what he's saying there, he's not saying that his word isn't valid. He's reaching out to them. He's speaking within a cultural context. Jesus is speaking as a first century Jew. There's a Jewish cultural practice. That if somebody is making a claim about uh, like a legal matter, especially if it's, a, if it's a very serious one, a testimony of one witness is not good enough. You have to have multiple witnesses. And where that comes from is there's a law in Deuteronomy chapter 17, 6 that says on the testimony of two or three witnesses is a person to be put to death. And no one is to be put to death on the testimony of one witness. So back in Deuteronomy in the Bible, there's this law. If the death penalty is on the table, you have to have at least two or three witnesses in the courtroom. And that law had grown into this cultural practice. And so what Jesus does is he's talking to these people who are opposing him who he himself had opposed, at least their corrupted religious belief and practice. And he says, look, don't just take my word for it. Two or three witnesses, right? I got your witnesses right here. And then Jesus starts to call on witnesses, others who would validate his testimony. And that's what this passage is about. So we don't just want to read this and talk about the first the context, what Jesus is doing here in Jerusalem with these religious leaders. We want to do that, but this is, this is not just a class, this is a sermon, right? So we, we want to look at this and we want to go, okay, well, where is Jesus also confronting us? What does this mean for us, for me, Charlie, for you guys, for our church, for our family and friends? And remember, sometimes we, we've talked about this, a good way to figure out how to apply a Bible passage is to try, to try to think of what questions might this Bible passage be answering? By the way, in your own personal Bible study, that's a good little thing to do. Read a passage and then try to write down questions that the Bible passage might be answering. So if, if we want to apply this text to ourselves, Jesus calling on witnesses, what questions might, might, we, might we ask that help us to understand this? Well, questions like this. Who is Jesus? Because that's what Jesus is trying to prove to these people. What does it mean that he's God? What does it mean that he's human? What does it mean that he's equal, yet chooses in time to submit to the Father? What is all that about? Who is this? Um, what does it mean for us to relate to Jesus? What does it really mean for us to believe in him? What does it mean for us to leave our folk religion behind? What does that mean? What should we do with it? So let's look at the text and let's think about those things as Jesus speaks. So let me read the text again and then 
I mean, identify the witnesses. Try to identify the witnesses Jesus is calling on as I read this text, okay? Let me read it out loud. You can read along or just listen, either one. Jesus says this, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Okay, That's, we talked about that. Now here he goes, calling on witnesses. There is another who testifies in my favor. And I know that his testimony about me is true. You've sent John and he has testified to the truth. That's John the Baptist, by the way. Now I've accepted, not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light. And you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has, has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe in the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you, and I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. And I've come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him? How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. And if you believe Moses, you will believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Okay, who are the witnesses? Who is Jesus calling on? Well, let's take them out of order. Let's take the, let's, let's try to go for the, well, let's, let's start with the, maybe the, what we might, might call the big ones. One, one is the Father. In fact, he, Jesus has been talking about his relationship with the Father. That's what makes him unique. And here he says the Father is a witness. He says, verse 37, the Father who sent me has testified concerning me. He talks about him coming in the Father's name. Jesus is saying, not only am I out here confronting your folk religion, making claims about who I am, saying that I'm equal with the Father, but also submit to the Father on your behalf for your salvation. Not only am I showing up saying, I am the guy, I am true religion, leave aside your folk religion and come with me. I'm not the only one saying that. The Father also says that about me. That's a strong claim, especially since he goes on to say, and you don't hear his voice and you don't see his form. And that makes sense. The father is invisible. God is invisible. We don't see him. God is spirit. I've never seen the father. Like Jesus, I'm pretty sure he said someone else, somewhere else. No one has ever seen the father. So he's saying, you, you don't see him. You don't hear his voice, but he's testifying. So, okay, that's good. The Father is Jesus' big witness. That witness maybe should close the case, but they don't see him or hear his voice. So how are they supposed to hear the witness of the Father? How are they supposed to experience the, that, you know, that, that, uh, the assurance that the Father's testimony should bring? Well, Jesus points out 
his works. Jesus' works. He talks about the works that the Father has given me. My works testify about me. He's saying the Father is a primary witness who speaks through the works, like a secondary witness. Now, works, what's he talking about? He's talking about his miracles. Jesus is talking about the things he's walking around doing. He had just Jesus is saying, these things that I'm doing. In John, we've already seen this stuff. Remember, he turned water into wine. He healed that official's son. He knows things about people before they tell him. Like the woman at the well or Nathaniel, the disciple. And he heals this guy by the pool. He said, all these works, they are works that the Father has given me to do. Now, anytime you see me do a miracle, that's the Father working. Jesus is saying, look, guys, miracles, those are God things. So you see me heal the guy at the pool. You see me know something about somebody. You see somebody come to faith because I talked to them. You are seeing God the Father, God Almighty, bearing public witness, public testimony about me. Now, all these people he's talking to had seen his works. Remember, these are the Jerusalem-based religious establishment people. We, we know from John 3 that one of those guys had even come to Jesus and said, we know your works. We know that you're from the Father. Remember Nicodemus? Jesus is saying, look, you've seen the works. That's the Father's testimony. In John's gospel, remember, he calls miracles. Sometimes he calls them signs. Remember that? And signs, what do signs do? Signs bear witness. Like if you see a sign, it says road work ahead. It's bearing witness to the reality that down the road there's road work. Jesus is saying, you, it's like he's saying, have you ever had an experience where you walk away and say that had to be a God thing? Have you ever seen me do stuff? I've been walking around here in your life and I've been doing things. Haven't you seen these? Did you know that that is God the Father saying to everybody, hey, over here, look, that's the guy. He says the Father bears witness about me. What's interesting, though, is that these folks that Jesus is talking to, remember who he's talking to, right? The Jerusalem-based religious establishment leadership. Um, Jesus heals the guy at the pool. How, how did they respond? Did they respond with, wow, you healed the guy? No. They responded with, who told that guy to pick up his mat? They ignored the works. Jesus is saying, look, the Father's bearing witness about me through these works, but you ignore the testimony. You ignore him. He gives another way the Father bears witness about him. It's not just the works, it's also the Scripture. He says, you study the Scriptures diligently because in them you think you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me. Jesus is saying that the Father himself doesn't just testify through Jesus' actions. He's testifying through the Bible. Now these guys knew their Bibles. They were the best Bible people around at least by pop culture. 
Jesus is saying, you've been looking at the signs. You pick up your Bible, you read Moses, you're reading about me. Remember how John in his gospel introduces us to Jesus? Very first page, very first verse. He introduces him as the word, the word of God. Jesus is the living word. The Bible is the written word. The whole point of the Bible is to bear witness to the living word. The written word is subordinate to and bears witness to the living word. Jesus says, guys, you have been reading your Bibles. It's all about me. How can you not see that? And by the way, if you don't see it, it's, it's pointing like a sign, like a witness pointing to me. But when you read it, you, you twist it. You make it about something else. So this thing that's supposed to bear witness against me, it's actually bearing witness against you. It's supposed to bear witness for me. It's bearing witness against you. It's like Moses, the, the guy who wrote the first four books of the Bible, the primary author of the Pentateuch. It's like Moses is accusing you. The Father gave us these words, these pages, these laws, so you would read them and you would hear the Father's voice say, Look, Jesus, true religion, go follow him. But you read it and you just use it to build up your folk religion. Maybe you should stop reading it because it's just accusing you and it's just making it worse. Or at least try to see what it's really about. So Jesus says, that's one big witness, the Father, and then, I guess, primary witness, and then secondary witnesses. It's the Father speaking through Jesus' works and the Bible. The work and the word. Two W's. There you go. That's very sermon-like. Okay? That's the first witness, the Father. And he speaks through the work and through the word. There's a second witness here. We see it in verse 31, the first verse on your paper. Jesus says, if I testify about myself, I've done these out of order, by the way, because I want to show you something. Jesus says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. There is another. Who is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. So far in John's gospel, there has hardly been a page, at least in my NIV compact giant print Bible, where the Holy Spirit is absent. It, the Holy, we've been all over learning about the Holy Spirit in John's gospel. It's been rich with the Holy Spirit. That's important. Uh, it starts off with, remember, um, John the Baptist is out in the wilderness and he's preaching. And he says, actually he says this. This is from John 1, 32 through 34. He, he, he points at Jesus. He's saying, look, that's the Lamb of God. And then he says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. John the Baptist is... First time we're learning about the Holy Spirit in John's gospel. Remember, John the Baptist was out in the wilderness and he's preaching and he sees Jesus and he's, he's saying, that's the guy. That's the Lamb of God. That's the Messiah. How do I know? 
Well, I saw the Holy Spirit come down and remain on him. And that spirit bears witness to his true identity. And what's his true identity? Well, he's the one on whom the spirit rests. He's the one who's anointed by the spirit. And he's the one who baptizes other people with the spirit. He's the Holy Spirit man. That's what John says. So what Jesus is telling these religious folks who are caught up in their twisted version of their Bible religion that's not really about Jesus or God at all. He's telling them, look, the Father has borne witness about me, but also the Spirit has borne witness about me. I'm the Holy Spirit man. And they might say, how are we supposed to have heard this Holy Spirit? When did we hear his voice? And Jesus goes, John the Baptist. (laughs) Look, he says, there's another who testifies in my favor. I know his testimony about me is true. Oh, by the way, this is important. I forgot to tell you this. That word another, a little bit later in John's gospel, we get to John 14. And Jesus commandeers that word and starts referring to the Holy Spirit as another. He's, He's saying, you've seen me, there is another. So there's a connection there, but... Anyway, Jesus is talking about the spirit. He's bearing witness to me. There's another who testifies in my favor. I know his testimony is true. You have sent to John the Baptist. And he's testified in the truth. So we have the father who bears testimony for Jesus' works and the Bible. Now we have the spirit who's bearing witness about Jesus. And he bears his testimony through the ministry of of John the Baptist and people like him. The Holy Spirit-filled ministry of the preachers and teachers of the people of God who are faithful. He says, look, you guys went out into the wilderness. Remember the story we read about the Judean leaders going out, sending an envoy out to talk to John? And they said, are you the Messiah? He says, no. Are you a prophet? No. Are you whatever? No. Who are you? He's like, I'm a voice in the wilderness. Uh, He's saying, I prepare the way for the Lord. I'm just a witness. What's interesting is that Jesus tells these Judean leaders, he says, you enjoyed his light for a while but you've rejected his testimony man that's important so Jesus is saying look you've heard John's preaching you thought it was great you went out there you, you thought he was a great preacher you went out there and you heard him and you, you had a good time there at the river but when it came down to actually accepting the message he was trying to convey Uh, You said no. And that message was the Holy Spirit bearing witness to Jesus. It's like they flirted with it. But they weren't interested. You guys ever thought of it? What what is it about preaching? And I want to be careful here because I'm the preacher and I don't want to like, this isn't about me. But seriously, there are better ways to learn things. In fact, there's lots of science and studies, pedagogy, like science of learning things. If you want to learn content, if, if, if I want to teach you content, one of the most inefficient ways to do that is for me to stand in front of you and do like a 40-minute monologue where you listen. 
If you want to, if you want to learn something, or you want a great speaker, or be entertained, you can listen to a stand-up comedian, or a TED talk, or a podcast. Or why is it that our people, the people of God, for thousands of years now, have gathered around preachers who open their Bibles and teach from it, with their aim of leading people to worship Jesus? Why do we keep coming to do preaching? Well, the answer is, there's something about this, about opening our Bibles and somebody getting up and saying, here's the text, here's an understand it to me, now look to Jesus. When that happens, the Spirit comes and bears witness through the preached word. And some of us hear the Spirit's witness and we go, yes, Jesus. But others, like the folks here, Go, well, I'll stick with my religion. That guy's a good preacher, but eh, no. Isn't that interesting? All right, back to the thing. So here's, here's what's going on. Who is, what right does Jesus have to come in and confront our religion? And who is Jesus really when he claims to be the object and practitioner of true religion? What does it mean that he's God and human? What does it mean to truly be faithful to him? What does it mean for us to examine our own hearts? Well, to understand these things, we need to pay attention to those who bear witness to Jesus. Who bears witness to Jesus? Well, the Father does and the Spirit does. And how do they bear witness? Through God's work in your life? Through God's word, the Bible? through what we do here on Sundays. You see it? Now, now we're starting to get a picture of true religion in practice. And here's how it shakes down. First, the God we believe in is self-validating. Jesus says, look, I have no need of your human testimony. Mine is good enough, guys. But so that you might be saved, like I get up two or three witnesses, let me tell you about this stuff, right? The God we believe in is self-validating. He is who he is. We don't define him. We don't shape his identity. He doesn't arise out of our cultural stories. He doesn't arise, nor is he formed out of our hopes, dreams, and imaginations. He is completely other from us. He doesn't need us. In fact, he is the I am. He is the Father, Son, and Spirit. One God, three persons, equal in power and in glory. And for all eternity, the Father has borne witness to the Son in the Spirit. The Son is born witness to the Father in the Spirit. That is the first lesson of true religion, is that there is a God who is. End of story. Self-validating. Yet, this God accommodates to us. He goes low. So that we can understand. Jesus says, look, there's no need. I don't need human testimony. But look, I'm going to stand here. Let me call on witnesses. 
so that you might be saved. Jesus uses this cultural thing to communicate to these folks in front of them. This two or three witness business. God, Father, Son, and Spirit who never changes, who is self-validating, chooses to come into our lives and argue with us and plead with us and say, here I am, here I am with us. So true religion, we have basic theology. There is a God who is, and he validates himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now we have basic soteriology. Even though this God is, he goes low. I love that Jesus says, what verse is it? Where does he say it? Verse 34. I mention this to you, that you may be saved. Why does Jesus go through this song and dance courtroom drama with these people? Because he wants them to believe. Why does Jesus go through that whole business at the end about saying, you're not going to believe in me. Moses condemns you. Come on, guys. The father is speaking, but you don't believe. Is Jesus just trying to heap condemnation on them? No. Remember, he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. What is true religion? There's a God, self-validating, but he accommodates. He goes low. And the greatest way he has gone low is by sending Jesus, by going low himself. Remember, Jesus submits to the Father by becoming human and becoming one of us. Here's another aspect of true religion. Are we cultural or folk religious activity? Means jack squat when it really matters. Jesus picks the most Bible, the most educated, the most righteous, the most insider church people in the whole community to confront. There is a God who's self-validating, but he goes low. But your efforts to reach out to him mean nothing. In fact, if anything stands between you and God that keeps you from being able to see him as he screams, here I am, it's probably your religion. It was the religion of these people that caused them to ignore the divine witness validating Jesus, caused them to twist it, caused them to flirt with it. Folks, the greatest danger to your soul just might be the fact that you think you're good people. And you come in here you go to wherever you're going to go next and you do your church thing just the way you want to do it. Watch out. Moses might be testifying against you. See, the thing is, is God in all of his self-validating glory who goes low. When he comes to us, 
He wants us to see him in fullness. And if we have the blinders of our folk religion over our eyes, even if that folk religion comes from Bible, even if that folk religion comes from PCA, even if that folk religion comes from our parents, even if that folk religion comes from this church, we're not going to see Jesus. He is everything. And if your religious practice, every nook, every cranny, every corner, every detail, if your religious practice doesn't all point back at Jesus and say, he's everything, I'm nothing, then your religious practice doesn't come from God. It came from somewhere else. And you might be in trouble. So you want good theology? Get away from religious stuff that wants to validate God, that's always on the defense, that feels like they have to prove who he is all the time. You want true Christian theology? Get away from people who think that God is so, doesn't accommodate to us. Get away from those ideas. You want true Christian spirituality? Neglect the idea that bad people are out there and good people are in here. Like we talked about a few weeks ago. There's no good people except Jesus. There's only one good guy. The rest of us are bad guys. There's only one good guy. And then cling to him with all of your heart. And never stop Cleaning out, vacuuming out, examining every dark corner of the idol factory that lives within you. Of all the folks in the world, on this day, of all the people who were far off, think about all the people, even people living in North America at this time who never heard of God. Yahweh, people living way up in Europe or in the Roman Empire, worshiping pagan gods. Think about the people down in Africa doing their thing. All the people in the whole wide world that God looks down and God made in his image. All the people in need of salvation. On this day, the people that God chose to pick up his megaphone and scream at, here I am, it's Jesus, is us, the religious establishment. Folks, repent of your sins. Turn to Jesus. He is your only hope. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to give you life. And in him is the fullness of God. And the fullness of God is for you. Amen.